This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, every Monday, I give one of you 100 bucks to invest in your idea and get to the top. To enter for your chance to win 100 bucks, simply subscribe to the podcast on iTunes right now and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove that you did it. This week's winner was Matt Walk in Chicago at the DDB Agency. Coming up tomorrow morning, we're going to hear from Bill Hanks, who went from zero to 6% market share in three months with the former Microsoft Bing director. Okay, Top Tribe, good morning. You know, you've started off your morning with a warm cup of coffee, or maybe you're jogging, you just put your headphones in, and buckle up. You're going to love our guest today. His name is Ethan Anderson, and he's the founder and CEO of MyTime, a startup that allows consumers to find and book appointments from over 2.5 million nearby businesses. He was also the co-founder and CEO of Red Beacon, which allowed consumers to request bids for home services. Red Beacon was venture-backed and acquired by Home Depot back in, I believe, 2010. Now, prior to Red Beacon, Ethan worked at Google as product manager for image search and Google video. It's going to be a good one. Ethan, are you ready to take us to the top? I sure am, Nathan. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So first off, let's talk, I want to talk about first, um, you, you, know, you graduated from Harvard. You had a lot of success. Why did you want to go into Google in a product manager role? Um, I love product. I think I just gravitate to imagining something that doesn't exist today and thinking about all the different components that have to go into it, from design to engineering, customer acquisition, and spending a lot of time with the customers themselves to understand what they need us to build to make their lives easier. And to me, that's the heart of innovation, and that's what startups are really about. And so what uh, kind of walk me through, what was it like working at Google? Was there any, uh, like a story, uh, you know, that was, you know, surprised you about something that happened there? And then why'd you transition out of Google into, I assume, Red Beacon? Sure. Um, oh, wow. So, okay. So, two very big questions. Yes. Um, I think the thing that surprised me the most about Google is on my very first day, I was, um, they gave me a choice of whether I wanted to do marketing or product management. So, of course, I chose product. I think that's unusual, but Google is growing so fast. They needed people in every role. And my job was what year to internationalize. Was this? What was that? What year was this? Oh, this is back in uh, 2006. 2006. Okay. Uh, January. And so... They said, you know, we need someone to internationalize this brand new product called Google Video. It's our competitor to YouTube. Um, we want to, you know, own online video. And we just launched it in the U.S., the Consumer Electronics Show. Can you launch us outside the U.S.? And I said, sure. And there was no mentorship. There was no, there's very little management. I had, a, um, I had a, uh, a product management director who had 40 or 50 direct reports that I didn't even really meet for a few months. And no one said how to do it. So for like... 20 minutes, I was just like frozen. Like, what do I do? I don't even mean, is there like a list <laughs> How of old are you? How old are you at this point? Like, who do I work with? But then you just get into it. And it's actually great training for being a startup founder and CEO because at that, that early Google day, you had complete autonomy and you had to figure things out just like you have to in the real world. Ethan, how old were you when, when um, you were going through that? I was 30. Yeah, okay, I was exactly 30. 30. Okay, so what happened? Obviously, YouTube won out. Did, were you part of the M&A process when Google acquired YouTube? 
No, absolutely not. I think uh, everybody in the Google video team was as surprised as everybody else when it happened. Uh, I actually got the sense that it happened very, very quickly. It looked like YouTube had multiple suitors and Google got in there thinking, we just cannot let this go to a competitor like Yahoo or Microsoft. And they just made a bid and it happened like lightning fast. Did that piss you off? I mean, you've been yeah, working on putting your heart devastated. and soul into Google video. I, I was devastated. Um, it's one of the reasons why I didn't go to YouTube uh, to work there and interna internationalize that product. Instead, I left and went to Google Image Search. Um, one of my colleagues, Hunter Walk, uh, actually did extremely well by leaving the Google video team and going to be a product management director at YouTube. But for me, emotionally, I couldn't walk away from, you know, a year of combating YouTube and just start working for them. I just wasn't ready to do that right away. Interesting. So is that one of the reasons you left and ended up at Red Beacon or founding Red Beacon? Um, no, that... They were unrelated. Uh, I worked on image search for a while before starting Red Beacon. The, the story behind, the, behind Red Beacon is I went to my Harvard Business School five-year reunion. And I was super excited to see my classmates uh, from five years ago. And I had amazing people in my class. Sal Khan had started Khan Academy. Um, Chris Dixon had started two startups and was on his way to Andreessen Horowitz as a partner. And there were several other stories. And I was just thinking, you know, I need to go make my place in the world. It's not enough for me to be a product manager, even at a great company like Google. I need to go start my own thing. And I did a month later. And that was Red Beacon. What year was that? Yeah, so that was 2008. And, um, you know, the idea for Red Beacon was mobile phones and smartphones are becoming, you know, just taking the stage. And I was like, what, why is it that you can't get bids for home service jobs? Why do you have to call around or go to Yelp? Uh, and, and then, you know, c compare all the different bids yourself and the availability and the ratings and reviews when somebody should just do it for you. And I didn't even know that there was an industry out there called lead gen, lead generation. And that's exactly <laughs> yep. what it was, but I wasn't familiar with it. And so I kind of started Red Beacon in a blind, uh, quickly realized there was competition. Uh, Service Magic, owned by IAC, was one of the big competitors and had been around for about 10 years. And mm -hmm. Thumbtack started about the same time as us. So they were some nascent competition. Now, one thing that really set us apart um, is that we launched a TechCrunch 50 and won TechCrunch 50 on stage in front of about 100,000 people, either in person or on Ustream. So we got just an amazing amount of publicity uh, on day one of our launch, and that really helped propel the company. And so... Uh, so walk me through how, how many, obviously you sold it in 2010 to Home Depot, correct? Uh, yeah, it was more like end of 2011, but yeah. Okay, end of 2011. So as you were building up to that exit, how, I mean, how many requests were you processing, you know, let's say on a monthly basis? How'd you make money? Um, okay, so I, I, can't, I can't talk about confidential information. Um, obviously, I've signed a lot of documents, but uh, I will say how we made money. So the way Red Beacon worked is service providers would bid on your job. So let's say you need a, um, a fence painted or you need a toilet installed. You could just take a picture, describe the job, and our algorithm would select four or five high quality service providers in your area to bring bids back to you. And everybody was licensed, insured, and guaranteed by Red Beacon. So you select somebody and that service provider then pays us a percentage of the job, usually ranging between 10 and 20%, depending on the, uh, on the vertical. What was the average job cost? That's a good question. I, I don't exactly remember. You know, it was probably, this is about five or six years ago for me. I can't remember what the average job cost was, but it was probably, you know, around $100 or something thereabouts. 
Okay, so you guys are, okay, interesting. And so, um, again, this was like four or five years ago now. You might not even remember. So, I mean, you have no idea. You have, were, were you processing above or below a million requests per month? Oh, uh, it was definitely fewer than a million requests per month. And that's actually something that, you know, is very interesting if you want to contrast Red Beacon and what I'm doing now in my time. With Red Beacon, you know, how often do you need a home service job? Maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, um, you know, maybe 10, 15 times in your life. And so the problem with Red Beacon is there wasn't enough continuous usage. You know, this is like the opposite of Uber or OpenTable, which you use, you know, every week. And we found that getting the repeat usage was difficult because people didn't need new bids from new service providers all that often. So you have, in that kind of situation, you have to really be able to monetize a lot on every single transaction simply because there's not a lot of transactions. So you better hit a home run each time. And mm. that was the hard, hard thing about Red Beacon. Uh, it was arbitrage, lead generation. So what that means is you go and you, you, know, you buy ads on Google and other sources, you pay for that traffic, you try to convert the traffic, and then you try to monetize it as much as possible. Um, so that's, that's really the whole game. So you guys, as you were building Red Beacon with Aaron, and, and I think it's pronounced Euron, uh, you guys raised $7.4 million, I believe. So, I mean, the sale price to Home Depot had to have been above $70 million, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, again, I'm not supposed to talk about that either. I wish I could, um, but you know, they made us sign confidentiality agreements. Yeah, I mean, I'm just so I'm reading. I'm reading here what people are saying, and I mean, I'm generally just curious. But I mean, it had to have been Mayfield, the Mayfield Fund in Menrock. They wouldn't have let it go. I, I would imagine for anything less than seventy. Was it above seventy million the sale price? Well, you know, you know that um, I'll say this. You know that VCs always want a minimum 10x return, right? Yeah, usually. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise, and, and the VCs were supportive, and they would have reinvested in a Series B um, and given us additional capital if we wanted to go in that direction. So for them to be supportive of a sale after just one round of financing, you can imagine that they, you know, they have a goal of hitting a 10x return. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. Yep. Otherwise, I would have just kept uh, investing. Right. So, so you weren't, even despite the fact that it was challenging to get repeat people using the platform, you guys were in a position of strength when you sold to Home Depot, not a position of weakness. Is that accurate? Or was it a weak position you were negotiating from? You know, um, companies get bought, not sold. And so Home Depot came to us. They were very serious about acquiring it. Uh, they'd met with us a year before. They were tracking us very closely. And they felt that this was their chance to build a Walmart Labs on the West Coast. You know, if you're familiar with Walmart Labs, it's been very successful. Sure. Home Depot wanted something like that. And they lacked technical talent in Atlanta where they're based. And they thought, you know, this is a fantastic company. We can integrate it into our store operations and provide services to our consumers, build loyalty with our shoppers, and we can build the, you know, the heart of our tech team in Silicon Valley. So for them, they came wanting to buy this company, and it was just a matter of finding a price that everybody could accept. Got it. Okay, so let's. I, I could go deeper, deeper, and deeper there about how it worked, and you know the the negotiating a sale. The top tribe, I think, would love that. But I want to focus a bit on my time. So you sell the business in 2012. Do you take a break, or do you jump right into my time after you sold Red Beacon? No, you know, um, I, I only went to the Galapagos Islands for a few weeks and did some hiking in the uh, rainforest. And then <laughs> Not so bad. I was, uh, but I I'd already knew that I wanted to start my time. And even when I was at Red Beacon, I had the idea, and I left because. I thought, you know, there's enormous opportunity to be the Amazon.com of local services. And, you know, the concept, and by the way, the company's pivoted a little bit, so I'm giving you the original concept. Sure. The concept was 
could we be, you know, a on-demand destination where people come to shop for local services and see real-time availability, book and transact through us, and we build that out as the platform on the web that local businesses connect to to facilitate this. Mm-hmm. And so it's very much like an Amazon or an open table of local services. So, I mean, so help me understand where is my time at today? How, how did, let, let's talk about just last month in October. Walk me through how you guys make money. Yeah, well, so to, to walk you through how we make money, I have to walk through the evolution a little bit of That's great, where we yeah. are today as a company and what we provide. So that, that original business that I described is the marketplace, and we take about a 40% commission on every new customer we bring you. And that might sound like a lot, but honestly, Groupon paved the way and sort of set 40% as a standard for new customer acquisition. And it really only comes out to about $25, $30 a new customer, which isn't a lot for a business that hopes to keep a customer for life. So it's really not that much. So that was the original business model, and we still keep that business today, the MyTime Marketplace. Okay. And that business gets about a million visitors a month. And every time a customer books a new business on the MyTime Marketplace uh, and that business is signed up for MyTime, we can take a 40% commission for bringing that customer to that business. And that, that 1 million visits per month, that's as of today, well, as of last month, say. Yeah, exactly. So and, that's um, you know, approximately a million visits a month. So what and, percentage of the visits actually land in a job that's booked or, or a, sorry, a, connection, a, a new customer for a local business? Um, so that's traffic coming to the website or the mobile app. Okay, so, well, yeah. so of the 1 million, though, how many, I mean, is, is, are you getting local businesses on average 10,000 new customers per month or more or less? Yeah, I mean, more, you know, more or less. You know, I can't exactly get into all the conversion rates on the product. Some of that stuff is still confidential. But here is the, here is the main kind of point that I wanted to make, though, is that we had to launch a new business line in this year just to, to complement the marketplace. What we realized from our experience building the marketplace is most businesses still use pen and paper, or they use Google Calendar, or they use their iPhone. Two-thirds of the businesses on our platform were in this situation. So we're like, well, how do we build? It's almost like trying to build websites before people are using the internet. You're sure. like, well, you can't really do an online booking destination and platform if the businesses aren't freaking using online booking, right? Mm-hmm. So we said, we're going to have to build the best online scheduling software out there. And that's what we did. We call it MyTime Scheduler. Um, it's beautifully designed. It's on iPhone, Android, and web. And we added, we made it very unique. There's nothing like it because it's actually a customer acquisition and retention tool with online scheduling at its heart. And I'll explain what I mean by that. My time goes out, it acquires new customers for you through our marketplace. It allows them to seamlessly book 24-7 using the software, the online booking software that we provide the businesses. And then we automatically help retain that customer through emails and text messages at the exact right moment. So we're doing all the things the business needs us to do to help them acquire, transact, and retain customers. Yeah, so it like decreases like missed appointments at the hair salon or things like that, right? Yeah, so the no-show problem in this industry is enormous. It's I mean, huge. It's, yeah. it's huge. And if you think about the cost of a no-show, it's actually like 2x. You, ha- you didn't have a customer come in because you were busy, and then the original customer didn't show. So it's a real issue for them. And, you know, time is, a, you know, time is, price, it is very precious. Once time is gone, you can never get it back. So what we do is we actually have appointment confirmations and the consumer text messages like a one if they're going to show up or a two if they need to reschedule or cancel. So, or they can do it through our app or website. 
So we really reduced the no-shows, which has got enormous value. It's actually worth many hundreds, if not over $1,000 a month to the businesses. So help me again, help me understand, uh, Ethan, the, the, the size of the business together. You have the marketplace plus the My Time Scheduler. The whole business together, it's obviously growing fast because you raised $9.25 million back in April. Well, how much revenue did it do just in October alone? Or maybe if you haven't closed it out, September. Well, I mean, so we haven't published our revenue figures. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar business, as you can imagine. Um, we more, more I, or less than three million a month. Um, yeah. Again, I, I can't, I can't share the revenue because we haven't done that before, so I can't actually share the the confidential financials of the business. But it is, it's growing extremely quickly, um, and I think that the opportunity to become a billion dollar business is definitely there. What does extremely quickly mean in terms of percentage growth month over month? Well, I mean, for the my time scheduler business, you know, it's going to be you know hundreds of it's in the triple digits percentages per year. Um, but it's a new business, so we're starting from a small base, so it's a little bit of an unfair comparison. But you know, we're only seeing the number of signups per month increase every single month. And the great thing about SaaS is, as long as we keep our churn rate low, this business just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And the other what is, thing about what is the what is your current churn rate? Because we debate about this all the time when we have SaaS entrepreneurs on. Um, it's under ten percent, you know, per, per month. month or year. Okay, per month. Well, and well, I that's think still that a problem, that, though. I mean, that's if why it's, I said if, if we keep the churn rate low. I yeah. think that as a newer product on the market, you know, we had things to learn um, that probably affected the early churn rate. But that's a real focus of the company now, and it's coming down very, very quickly. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, I I uh, I know you don't want to give specific numbers, but I'm going to try and back into this for the top tribe. And if you want to deny anything, that's totally fine. But I want them to really understand because they'll go study you. You, I mean, you'll get this. This episode will be more successful for you if they understand this. So, top tribe, when obviously when Ethan raised nine point two million, let's just call it nine back in April. I mean, typically in a Series A, you know, and people are going to give up ten, let's call it ten percent to twenty percent of their business. Sometimes lower, sometimes more. So you can you can guess that the valuation is maybe somewhere between 70 million and a hundred million dollar business uh and with that with that you know you're looking at usually revenue multiples let's call it you know, 70 so if you're doing a million a month times 12 and 12 into 70 you can kind of get an idea there if you're getting you know six or seven x top line which is actually conservative so maybe it's better than that but ethan i mean are, am i talking around the right kinds of numbers I mean, I think that you're talking about, you know, a very logical way of investing. I do think that sometimes in the Series A, you know, the, there's probably a little bit more about the growth story and the vision that you can convey to investors and get them excited. So it's not, it's not what you're talking about is probably a little bit more of a mature stage company, maybe even a Series B. Got it. Got it. So maybe you're doing a less than a million bucks per month. Sure. Um, got it. You know, one thing that you have to add on with our business, if you really understand it, and I'll explain something very interesting to you because this is super unique. Every time we acquire a small business, let's call it a merchant, to my time, they yep. bring with them a gift for us. They bring about 800 clients on average into the MyTime ecosystem. Now, those 800 clients, once they're on MyTime, they go shop for other things too. It would be sort of like if a manufacturer said, to buy my product, you have to go to Amazon.com. You've got great network effects. And yeah, and then you start buying other things on Amazon. And remember, we get that 40% commission when we bring you a new customer. So as long as those customers cross-sell, we can make money even off of their clients. So we actually have a real upside that most SaaS businesses don't even have. That's great. Well, it's going to be fun to watch you as you build the business, Ethan. If people want to follow you online, where can they do that? 
They can follow, uh, first of all, at mytime, mytime.com. If you're a business, mytime.com slash merchants. If you want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter at Ethan, E-T-H-A-N underscore Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Okay, Top Tribe, don't forget, for your chance to win $100 right here on the podcast every Monday, you simply have to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Do that now and then text me that you've done that to 703-431-2709. Again, subscribe on iTunes now, then text me that you've done it at 703-431-2709. And guys, we'll link to those in the show notes at nathanlacka.com forward slash the top 112. Again, forward slash the top 112. Okay, Ethan, we're about to get into my favorite part of the show. Do you know what's next? Uh, no, surprise me. It's time for the famous five. Are you ready? Go. All right. Number one, favorite business book. Um, the Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. I love when he says, if you're going to eat shit, don't nibble. That's my favorite chapter title. Number two. Number two. <laughs> you can't help but laugh. I, I, I've got my own, but I don't know if I can say it. <laughs> say it. This is an explicit show. It's, it's totally fine. It's not about the money. It's about the fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> I love the diction you use when you say that. That's great. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Yeah, the uh, uh, Parker uh, from Zenefits, uh, I think that, you know, he's got an amazing business that he's built from scratch. Uh, growth is astronomical, and it's the same small business type of customer that we go after. So it's fascinating for me to watch how he did it. Got it. Number three, it, do you have a favorite online tool that you love using, like Evernote? Um, I love Pivotal Tracker. It's, uh, I'm such a product guy, and I just love to sort of, you know, create stories, uh, upload designs, comment on what's going on, and think about the priorities of what our team is working on. So I love Pivotal Tracker. Pivotal Tracker. Okay, number four, Ethan, yes or no, as you're building this empire, are you getting eight hours of sleep every night? Uh, I don't think I need eight hours of sleep. Probably I'll get six. But the truth is, my sleep cycle as part of the startup is disrupted. And I find myself waking up sometimes in the middle of the night, going to work, and then maybe going back to bed at 5 a.m. I don't know why. It just happens. And how old are you? Married? Single kids? Um, so late 30s and uh, still single. Late, late 30s, still single. Okay, so take us back. What, what are you, 37? Yeah, uh, 39. 39. Okay, take us back 29 years. If you wish your 20-year-old self knew one thing, what would it be? I should have gotten married back then because it's really hard now. <laughs> <laughs> there you guys have it. Ethan, from starting off, getting obviously graduating from top-notch schools to launching Google Video, then leaving because of the YouTube acquisition, building Red Beacon, exiting to Home Depot for somewhere around $70 million plus, and now building an empire with my time. Ethan, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. Great to be here. Bye-bye. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. And don't forget, before you go listen to other episodes, subscribe to the show on iTunes right now for your chance to win 100 bucks next Monday. This week's winner was Matt Wolf from DDB Agency in Chicago. If you liked today's episode with Ethan, go right now. Don't wait and listen to the episode from yesterday with Tom Ziegler. He's adding 3,000 emails per week while he's building the Ziegler Empire. 